1: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Murano Up on the roof, up on the
2: roof. When this old world starts getting me down, and people are just too much for me to face. I climb way up.
1: To the top of the stairs And all my cares Just drift right into space The Drifters
0: Up on the Roof Uh, We saw That uh, Barrett Strong Whose 1959 hit Money Gave uh, fledgling music entrepreneur Barry Gordy the jump start To his business known as Motown Records He has uh, passed away at the age of 81 As a singer Barrett Strong was a one hit wonder but uh, teaming with Norman Whitfield, he wrote a string of hits for others, including Heard It Through the Grapevine and um, you know, This Magic Moment by the Drifters. And the Drifters were great. Can't beat them. All right. Um, very pleased uh, to welcome back Andrew McKenna. Andrew McKenna is a, a good friend of mine and a, a great guy. Besides, he is the deputy director of the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence in Westchester, and the author of uh, one of the best memoirs that I've ever read, which I still recommend. It's available on Amazon, Sheer Madness. Andrew, it's great to see you. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Frank. Great to see you, man.
0: Uh, by the way, and uh, I understand you are in the process of uh, finishing another book.
1: I am. I'm um, writing a book with good friend Kenny Robinson, who I know you've met uh, in the past. I think he's been on the show Um, and it's another, another memoir and it deals with, for me, the prison years. Mm. And, uh, we get into how Kenny and I met in prison and what he's done since then and what I've done. Uh, he's a true visionary and I always tell him he's going to be in the history books, uh, you know, along with, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, WEB Dubois and he's just amazing. He's a driven person to help a lot of people, helps a lot of people coming out of incarceration reclaim their lives.
0: Well, that's wonderful. What's the name of that book? Is that available for pre-order yet?
1: It's not no. available for pre-order, but uh probably looking at a release date of um the fall and it's uh we have a it's it's called Unmasked. It will be the title of the book and It's the the working title right now, but yeah, we're really excited about it.
0: Great. Well, we'll look forward to having you back when the the book is out. And uh, Kenny, also, Um, for people that don't know your story, and by the way, you got to get sheer madness. It's a wonderful book. It's by Andrew McKenna, M C K E N N A. Uh, Maybe if you play your cards right, maybe we can persuade Andrew to give a copy or two away uh, today. But no promises. We'll see where that goes. But um, Andrew, you were a Marine. You were a federal prosecutor. You developed an addiction to heroin, um, and then you be- turned to crime. You became a bank robber and then went to uh, federal prison in your memoir that's the subtitle, From Federal Prosecutor to Federal Prison. Now you spend a lot of your time trying to help people that are dealing with addiction issues or help people who may have family members that are battling addiction issues. Let me ask you about what uh, British Columbia, Canada is doing. We've got a lot of Canadian listeners. Some hear us over the radio. Others listen online. They are in the midst of uh, a three-year experiment with drugs. Starting today, small amounts of drugs are decriminalized, not just marijuana, which New Yorkers and New Jerseyans and Nevadans are familiar with, but this includes hard drugs like cocaine, And heroin, cannabis is already legal up there in Canada. So instead of facing criminal charges, people caught with less than two and a half grams will receive information on treatment or other resources. Drug trafficking, that's still illegal. A lot of people looking at this and wondering, will this be successful? Will it uh, make the problem worse? What do you think?
1: It's such an interesting topic to me. Because I remember studying this back in in college years and years and years ago, and the biggest concern was that by legalizing it, you're almost condoning it for those who haven't um tried drugs or you know even started with marijuana or progressed onto something else, so it's almost like the the government's um saying it's somehow okay, it's not as dangerous as we've been telling you, and the federal government has spent over a trillion dollars since the war on drugs began and everybody seems to claim that the war on drugs has been an utter failure failure that's very popular sentiment this is what i think and this is what i know having um, been through addiction myself and now you know helping people that are struggling with addiction you you have to start somewhere with the reason why a person picks up and uses in the first place. Almost everybody I know um, is looking for a reason to escape or looking for a way to escape their emotions, their stress, their anxiety. Uh, Maybe they lost their job, lost a loved one. Grieving is a huge thing. Hopelessness, loneliness. These are the the main uh, factors uh, for people looking to escape what they're feeling. If we were to decriminalize certain drugs and take some of the money that we've put towards enforcement um into prevention and mental health and awareness before mental health really starts to take a tumble in one's life, if you look at you know what we're teaching people that are in kindergarten or first grade second grade third grade um, helping our young people have better coping mechanisms so they can deal with the stressors of life. We know life is difficult. So if we can shift some of the funding towards prevention um, of the, of the main mental health causes that cause somebody to then go and use and escape, then maybe it could be successful. The, another point to, to doing this and decriminalizing uh, certain drugs. And now we're talking about the harder drugs like cocaine and heroin is uh, arresting people for small user quantities. And then warehousing them is an absolute injustice. And right now the United States houses more people in prisons and jails um, and are justice involved in some way than, than all other the com- uh, countries combined. It's, it's ludicrous. We have a jail, uh, uh system where people are profiting based on laws that are archaic and frankly don't work.
0: The advocates of what Canada is doing, and there are plenty in the United States as well, but the advocates of what Canada is doing, they say that addiction is a health issue and not a crime. And people who are not afraid of being punished and thrown in jail they're um, much more likely to seek help for their addiction issues. Whereas if they're afraid that they're going to get locked up for it, they're going to be a lot less likely to seek out resources to help them. What do you say to that argument?
1: Well, we know that someone who's in the throes of addiction, the prospect of being locked up is not a deterrent. You're already in the compulsion stage of addiction. My case is a perfect example. When I was robbing banks, I wasn't – worried about going to prison that, that, that didn't stop me from doing what I was, was doing at the time. But it's also, it kind of goes to my first point too, because at sentencing after I was caught, um, we made the argument that, you know, I was desperate to get money for drugs that really wasn't the case. It, it had so much more to do with the pain that I was feeling. I was going through an awful custody battle. I couldn't seem to get any traction. I did have an injury in the Marine Corps, which got me onto to uh, prescription painkillers, which is, you know, completely dangerous if it's not carefully watched. Thank God it, it's, it is much more now than it used to be. It's still an issue. But really, I had pain between my ears, the sadness of losing my children and um i just couldn't seem to get any traction i couldn't seem to get a victory it 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 really snowballs out of control at that point so stopping the mental crisis that so many people go through on a daily basis and we're not talking about you know major uh psycho or psychiatric disorders like um schizophrenia or something that's really has to be treated with medication. We're talking about day-to-day stuff, Frank, stress, anxiety, depression. Uh, it can really spiral out of control. If we can start treating some of those things and teaching young people and young adults and older people as well to deal with those stressors. Uh, I think we'll go a long way.
0: I know that uh, Portugal tried something similar about 20 years ago in decriminalizing drugs. Do you have any idea how it's worked out for them?
1: It's it's really fascinating because they thought that the number of drug users would go up, but it actually decreased. And it's difficult. The data that I read, they haven't been able to tie it to one particular factor, Um I think part of it was that uh, a lot of people look at drugs and and if they haven't gotten into them yet, it it sort of has this allure, this unknown, this sexiness to it. And they, they want to try it. And perhaps maybe by decriminalizing it, it made it look like it's not that big of a deal. You know, there's not it's not really risque behavior. And so for the people that are motivated by that type of thing, maybe it took some of that allure away.
0: One of the things that – in one of the articles on what Canada is doing that I've read was that Oregon has done something like this, uh, but they've been slow to fund services, and one of the criticisms of Oregon's policy – is one of the same criticisms that's now being directed towards British Columbia, which is that in order for this kind of a a philosophy to work, decriminalization has to be paired with treatment programs and other resources like what Portugal did. But there are some folks wondering, that, concerned about just decriminalizing without funding the uptick in, in treatment. I mean, is that a fair concern from where you're standing?
1: Absolutely right, because the money has to go into treatment options for people. It, typically, someone, uh, an addicted person, and we've changed the language. We don't use the word addict so much anymore. It's a, an addicted person, uh, they don't want to be addicted anymore. You know, once the wheels come off the bus, it's not a, a, a big party anymore. It's it's awful and very, very difficult to get out of. And unless you have treatment options for them, then it's very easy for them to continue using. It It's the... Uh, you know, the path of least resistance at that point, especially with opioid addictions where there's a, a strong physical component, very difficult to get off of that without effective treatment.
0: What, and if people just were talking with Andrew McKenna, in addition to being the deputy director of the National Council of Alcoholism and Drug Dependence in Westchester, he's also a consultant to attorneys and judges for addiction and um, mental health related issues. He's a former attorney himself. One of the things that uh, I think really shocks people into paying attention about this kind of thing is that the statistic that there are more people dying every year from drug overdoses in this country than died in the entire Vietnam War. And they say one of the driving forces behind these uh, drug overdose deaths is fentanyl, the fact that more people are using fentanyl, the fact that fentanyl has an increased lethality and this has spurred a large number of reports that um police officers correction officers others just by touching fentanyl can get uh can get uh, can get seriously ill or suffer a drug overdose now a lot of medical professionals have tried to debunk this but there's still a lot of people and they've called me all saying the same same thing, which is that, no, um, you can suffer from a drug overdose just by touching fentanyl, even with a glove. Based on your research, Andrew, what's accurate? Can you suffer from a drug overdose just by touching fentanyl?
1: I'm so hesitant to answer that question, right, because we have conflicting opinions from people. Uh, you know, two sides and they're all experts. My understanding when I first heard and saw, actually it was a YouTube video probably two years ago, but it was a YouTube video of a, of CNN or Fox or something. It was a major news network and they were showing, um, a first responder, police officer down in Florida overdosed. And the allegation was that she touched, uh, fentanyl and, um, you know, it seeped into her skin, through her skin, and that was, and it was the cause of the overdose. I was alarmed by that; it scared me. Like if I ever came upon fentanyl or somebody who had overdosed, maybe they had uh, residue on their skin mm-hmm. or something that I, you know, I could overdose too. But so until we really know definitively. The research I've read is that, no, you cannot overdose that way, and that this is just something that the media has blown up, and we know that in in many cases fear sells, and so they kept pumping it and pumping it. The the problem with this is that it's deterring people from – Helping someone who is in the in the throes of an overdose or even appears to have overdosed, it could be a heart attack it could be have nothing to do with drugs at all, but they don't want to go near the person and so this fear is is really dangerous, and it could cost a lot of lives just based on that alone so uh,
0: but the the reader's digest version is you're not ready to answer my question is if you're a police officer or a correction officer and you touch fentanyl uh, for a short amount of time, you're not ready to take a position on whether you can suffer a drug overdose from that.
1: I'll say this. The International Journal of Drug Policy, which is a legitimate research based um, foundation, they did a meta study and they looked at thousands of these cases, reviewed thousands of cases where it was suggested that a first responder overdose simply by touching fentanyl. And they pretty much debunked all those cases, all those allegations.
0: Let me ask you about this. This was a conversation on the Cats at Night show yesterday. Great, great interview overall with uh, Derek Maltz, who was a uh, DE agent. He's now retired, but he's on television a lot. He's on radio a lot. He does, like yourself, a lot of work in the uh, drug addiction advocacy area. And he was talking with their whole panel of people, including Craig Eaton, who uh, I think you've probably met. He's an attorney. He's a friend of mine as well. He's been on this show. And Craig was raising some concerns about marijuana now that it's legal in New York, now that it's legal in New Jersey, now that it's legal in Nevada. Seemingly everywhere it's legal. That the possibility of it leading to harder drugs and greater drug addiction. Here's a portion of the conversation between... Craig Eaton and retired DEA agent Derek Maltz. This is Craig Eaton. My, my uncle was in the DEA for many, many years, and he used to tell us as we were kids that they can never they can never make pot legal because pot leads to cocaine, leads to crack, leads to heroin, leads to other drugs. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I'll tell you really what's going on now, Craig. Great, great point. Uh, you know, historically, you know, nobody thought smoking a joint was that big of a deal. Now the THC is so high, There are studies coming out everywhere that it's causing psychosis, schizophrenia. It's causing depression, anxiety. And guess what happens to a kid in high school that's depressed and is anxious? He goes out and tries to find Xanax. And the Xanax is killing him because it's deadly fentanyl. Because you need something stronger. You got to keep keep looking for things stronger because the pot isn't working anymore. And then the cocaine isn't working anymore. So you got to go to crack. But it's crazy where we're going in this country. You know, I, uh, I, I like Craig a lot and a smart guy and sure. a great attorney and a friend of mine. I found that, um, that line of questioning or that line of uh, concern regarding marijuana – That took me aback, and I did disagree with it. I've never smoked marijuana, but I think I'm the only person in my family and the only friend of mine, uh, the the only person in my peer group that has never smoked marijuana. Everyone I know has, has at least tried marijuana, and none of them, almost none of them, went on to harder drugs like the ones that Derek and Craig were talking about. Now that marijuana is legal, almost anywhere you can hear our voice, What do you think about the concerns that those guys are raising about marijuana being a gateway drug and leading to harder, harder substances?
1: So some people, I I have friends that smoke pot and they don't move on to cocaine or heroin or fentanyl or anything. Um, They enjoy achieving an altered state of mind. Instead of a couple glasses of wine or some scotch or something, they'll smoke a little bit of pot and they're, Completely content with that, their lives are generally in order, and they're just moving along and, and doing okay with it. But there are other people, especially our younger people, whose brains aren't even fully developed until they're twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty years old, uh, who might initially try pot because they're curious. Their friends are having fun; they laugh, they get the munchies, they eat. It seems kind of harmless. But as life continues, the stressors kick in, reality kicks in, and they're uncomfortable with those feelings. So now they're going to pot because they had a bad day Mm. or they're worried. They feel insecure. And as they get older, they're not developing any skill set to deal with the difficulties of life. It becomes a slippery slope. After a while, uh, they're smoking more and more pot. Oddly, their life, and I say that uh sarcastically, their life becomes a little bit more challenging, a little bit more difficult. They're not as sharp because they're high more often or not than not. And so the problems and challenges of life compound, and now all of a sudden the marijuana isn't enough to kind of, you know, allow them to escape that that tension, that anxiety that they're feeling, the fear. And so they do try something a little stronger. And then when that starts to increase, the problems start even increase more. And it becomes this self-fulfilling thing, this cycle. Um, and then as the problems increase more, then they start using more in in like an individual sitting. And then their frequency of use increases. And then before you know it, the wheels completely can come off the bus. It's very, very dangerous. And with fentanyl now, um, it's... Even more dangerous because it, it takes such a little amount, like literally the amount of fentanyl that you could hold on the tip of a pen, like a writing pen, is enough to overdose. So and I want to just go back when we were talking about decriminalizing a lot of drugs. I think fentanyl's is gonna change that or fentanyl is gonna change that argument a little bit too. If it's um, decriminalized and there's not a, a market for it, like a street market for it, and you have to go to a dispensary, it's going to be more regulated. Like if I go to a dispensary, I know if I'm buying marijuana, it's not going to have fentanyl in it. At least I'm 99% right. sure it's right. not, right? Uh, whereas on the street, you just don't know. You're rolling the dice. So decriminalizing it, decriminalizing Drugs may actually protect people because it will be regulated. Right,
0: and that's the argument always behind decriminalization of prostitution as well. Yeah, one, it will keep people that are underage from getting involved as prostitutes, but also there's certain health standards that uh, that are in place in a legal vice as opposed to an illegal one. We're talking with uh, Andrew McKenna. He's the deputy director of National Council of Alcoholism and Drug Dependence in Westchester. By the way, Andrew, if people want to get in touch with you, I want to recommend they do check out your book, uh, Sheer Madness. But if people do want to get in touch with you, um, what uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: You can email me at Andrew McKenna and then the letters acs at gmail.com. Um I also have a phone number set up for people to call me if they need help. I work with um people from all walks of life. Uh I work because I was an attorney. I work a lot with attorneys, um, either with them personally or family members, but oftentimes clients. The phone number is area code five one eight two six nine eight three zero six. And I Look, I'm I'm here to help. I went through hell with my situation, lost my license to practice law. Uh, it it can really spin on spiral out of control quickly. Uh, if you can get it early, um, you can you can save yourself and a lot of people, a lot of misery.
0: A lot of people eager to uh, comment on this. 800-848-9222. four eight nine two two two. We're going to take as many calls as we can, but I have to ask you about this interesting story in the New York area. There was a drug dealer who has been convicted in these fentanyl overdose deaths of three New Yorkers. A drug dealer by the name of Billy Ortega could face life in prison for charges related to selling cocaine laced with fentanyl. This is a New Jersey man who was convicted of causing the deaths of three New Yorkers. He sold them cocaine laced with fentanyl. Found guilty on Monday of all charges by a federal jury in the Southern District of New York in Manhattan. And at a sentencing uh, scheduled for June 2nd, he could face 25 years to life in prison. He's 36 years old. And uh, you were a federal prosecutor. I'm curious how you view this situation and how you view the practice of sentencing drug dealers for the overdose deaths of their clients.
1: It's deeply troubling. Right. He he was charged with one count of narcot- narcotics conspiracy uh, resulting in death, three counts of narcotics distribution resulting in death, and, of course, the gun charges you mentioned. Here's the problem. He was making a, a lot of money, and he assumed a lot of risk uh, with with the prison sentence that he was facing. When I looked at the facts of the case and read behind it a little bit, he knew that he was um, intentionally putting fentanyl in cocaine and not, not to cause overdoses, but to make his product more enticing to buyers. He also knew that um, he'd gotten feedback from somebody who he had sold the cocaine to that said it was way, way too strong. Mm. I ended up in the hospital. He turned around then the next day, I believe, and sold it to somebody else or gave it to another drug dealer and said, here, go give this to some of your customers. You know, we need to kind of screen our stuff and make sure it's sellable. So there are certainly aggravating factors to it. But even if there weren't those aggravating factors, um, this is a huge problem. It's it's based off of greed. You're playing on people's addictions and, you know, people's vices. And it – look – knowledge of the law is in a defense and i mean he knows it's illegal he probably didn't know there was a mandatory minimum 25 years if if what he sold resulted in death or is is right. criminal enterprise i don't have a whole lot of sympathy
0: all right we're gonna try and run through as many calls as we can in the next couple of minutes andrew mckenna is here 800 joe in queens has been patiently holding hello joe
2: yeah hi andrew you got a great speaking voice by the way um What I wanted to ask is, uh, you know, with financial crimes or the drugs, you might have a job, say, an accountant or work on Wall Street or do arbitrations where there's a built in opportunity for some graft or or, uh, fraud versus going out of that venue and looking for it. And the same with maybe drugs. Maybe you have some friends that use them or you look elsewhere you know, do you see a difference in that type of uh, addiction?
1: I really don't. I really don't because we could say, well, they're different because it's money and the person needs more money to you know, pay bills or they got behind in something. So they're, they're tempted that way. That could be true. But there's also some element to doing something. And they're getting some sort of rush from it. It's almost like problem gamblers. It's, it's a very difficult addiction to treat because there's almost as much of a rush, that enticing feeling that, that keeps someone to continue to do it, whether they win or lose. Some people are gamblers actually are just as addicted to losing as they are winning. It, it's, it's a very, very difficult addiction to treat, as I mentioned. So in that case, I, I could see it go both ways. Uh, and it's absolutely a temptation.
0: Um, you know, uh, stick around a couple of minutes if you don't mind, Andrew. Those sure. of you that are holding Bobby, Paul, and whomever else, we'll uh, get back to you in a minute. We're going to continue with Andrew McKenna at 800 Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Mother's sign at midnight with Frank Murano.
0: By George Harrison, Uh, this is a birthday bumper music selection from my friend Phil Maravolo. When I knew Phil Maravolo, he was a young political operative. We go back uh, over 23 years, and uh, these days he's a teacher. Like most people from where I grew up, he moved to New Jersey, and he's doing very well out there now, a father of two. Great guy. Uh, Happy birthday to you, Phil Maravello. Hope all your wishes come true. Hey, speaking of music, when I was talking about Barrett Strong and the role uh, that he played in launching Motown, I neglected to mention that Charlie Thomas who was part of the Drifters, has also passed away at the age of 85. So there's all kinds of reasons to listen to the Drifters this week. Speaking of drifting, we are uh, drifting in and out of conversation with Andrew McKenna. He's a consultant to attorneys and judges uh, for addiction and mental health issues. He also happens to be the deputy director of the National Council of Alcoholism and Drug Dependence in Westchester. Going to try and squeeze in as many calls as we can here. Paul is in Connecticut. Hello there, Paul. Well, Hi, Frank. Hi. Hi, Andrew. Hi,
1: Paul. Hi.
2: Oh, it sounds like you have quite a history with uh, mental health and uh, marijuana. This gateway drug, well, I started young, but we'd go to uh, Grateful Dead concerts (laughs) and smoke some marijuana and do some acid and mushrooms and, you know, pretty, pretty heavy and been through all the you know florida with all the cocaine and different things but uh, you know now i use it for medical reasons and you know i know they can uh sometimes if they were going to do a survey or something they can kind of guide the results to how they'd want them to be
0: all right paul thank you I appreciate that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We want to try. We only have about a minute and a half here, so we want to try and run through as many of these calls as we can. Bobby is in Manhattan. Hello, Bobby.
2: Hey, hey, Frank. Hey. So, so um, when Carmine gets old enough, he's going to be hanging out with friends, and I hope that he has the pure marijuana pot that I had. I'm seventy three. And I had real Panama red and it it wasn't I mean, it was heavy, but it wasn't that heavy. It was like pure. And you woke up the next day and you weren't all screwed up. So that's what I'm hoping. All
0: right. Well, I, I mean, Andrew, with marijuana being legal now, is that more likely that it's going to be a uh, a cleaner, a purer form of marijuana or is that less likely?
1: Oh no! It's it, I think it's much more likely anything managed through a dispensary for sure, but the concentration levels are way higher. This this isn't your grandparents' marijuana,
0: even in, in the legal dispensaries. Correct. All right. Uh, finally, uh, only got about thirty seconds here. Billy in Queens, you've been holding. Hello. What if they make cocaine legal,
2: and then they people want to where we having fentanyl in it? Because it'd be like buying a pack of cigarettes from the government.
0: Well, I think that's kind cool. of the point Andrew was raising, right? I mean, that's one of the things that comes with decriminalization, is there's a certain expectations of of non-lethality, right?
1: Absolutely, right. And I'll say one other thing. There's many people out there, active drug users, that want fentanyl in their cocaine, and they also throw in a little bit of heroin.
0: Andrew McKenna, uh, check him out. Uh, get the book, Sheer Madness. It is the the most interesting memoir that I've probably ever read. It's available on Amazon, M-C-K-E-N-N-A. Until next hour, your influence counts. Make sure you use it.